Hello and welcome to the story. You are with Julie and this is a podcast where I narrate my books that are part of a fantasy trilogy. This is season three and the final story of a drama and suspense packed series. The book brings to life characters that are easy to identify and fall in love with. It is a story immersed in a plot that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Each episode is a chapter from my book and I encourage you to join our Facebook group, The Story, where we discuss the book and enable support for writers and lovers of great stories. You can also find me on Instagram, where you can DM me at Jules underscore rights, J-U-L-S underscore rights. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe where you listen to all your favourite podcasts and join us on a journey of storytelling. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. How are you all today and how has your week been? I've got some exciting news I want to share with you. I want to let you all know that the podcast is in the top 20%. So I'm really thankful and grateful for you guys for helping make this happen. Now, as you know, I've created this podcast as a way of showcasing my books and to create a community of people who love either reading or listening to a good story. Now, the other piece of exciting news I want to share with you is Rise of a Saw, The Beginning, will be released next September, so September 2023. And this was season one of the podcast. So I'm really looking forward to the um, book coming out. Okay, so it's not long before Christmas break, and uh, I just want to take the time to wish you, for those of you who celebrate Christmas, a very merry and safe Christmas. And for those who don't, I want to wish you a very happy and safe day season. Before we know it, we'll be in 2023. Time certainly does fly. Okay, so today's mystery is about the ancient Nazcar lines. Now, these lines were said to be made over 2,000 years ago by the Nazcar people of southern Peru. Now, some of the lines that have been drawn in the shape of animals However, one of them appears to be the shape of an astronaut. Now, there are 70 animal and plant designs, and they're called biomorphs. And some vary uh, from 50 to 1,200 feet in length, uh, meaning that they're as big as the Empire State Building. So they're huge. Now, the Nazcar people were an ancient people who lived from around AD 1 to AD 700. Now, the Shavan and Paracas who lived before the Nazcar people, um, they've also thought to have helped draw some of these geoglyphs. Now, some of the most famous ones represents animals such as a spider, a hummingbird, there's a cactus plant, a monkey, whale, llama, duck, flower, tree, a lizard and a dog. Now, the lines were discovered over 80 years ago when pilots started flying over them in the 1930s. And as before this, no one could identify the shapes on the ground. But the question you've got to ask yourself, what are they for? Now, some say they have an astronomical and calendrical meaning and that the animal geoglyphs 
represents stars in the sky. Now, Swedish writer Erik von Däniken wrote a book in 1968 called The Chariots of the Gods. Now, in this book, he states that these lines were a landing site for UFOs and that the Nazca people thought of them as alien gods. Now, remember, there was a, um, an image of an astronaut um, that they've discovered. Now, some other theories have stated that these shapes uh, were made by aliens and acted as a way to steer spaceships and for them to be used as landing pads. Now, a gentleman called Johan Reinhard, uh, who's a National Geographic explorer in residence, he has a theory that due to the arid climate, the lines have had little damage because there's so little rainfall. But he goes on to say that the lines were a way of showing the way to where rituals would be performed. And they did these rituals, um, appeal to the gods for water and crop fertility. And the, another reason he states that the lines are so large is so that the gods could see them. Now, spiders for the Nazcar people represented rain and, the hum, and hummingbirds' fertility. So it is quite interesting, um, and I can understand why he came to that theory. But what do you guys think? Do you think they were made by aliens? Or were they made by these ancient people to ask the gods for help in growing crops and to feed their people? I'd love to hear from you, so drop us a line in the Facebook group, The Story, or you can DM me on Instagram, that's Jules, J-U-L-S underscore rights. Or you can always send me an email, The Story Podcast, all in one word, at outlook.com. At outlook.com. Okay, let's do a recap of last week's episode, A Stranger from the Past. Now, we heard how Merrick had lost half of his people from this latest raid from the Assault. Now, the people of the village have become anxious and wonder how will they ever rid the world of the Assault and what are they going to do again? Hide? Andrew and Ada are both mystified on why they could not pick up on the feeling that the Assault were coming. And we were introduced to new characters, Quinn and Clara, both um, are from the last village that Claire had had come to, and now they've joined Merrick and his people. Torrin still has not returned from his recon for supplies, and Merrick, with the help of his sister and her wolf, go look for him. Anja dreams of a large procession of people heading towards their village. And the man who leads them is someone from her past. But she cannot remember who he is. Oh, there's so much happening now. And now, without further ado, please get comfy and enjoy. American crew sat next to Chandra on the log of an enormous oak tree. The bark was rough texture, and a green moss crept and stretched its way along one side. Rhea offered her friend some dried fruit, which she took gratefully. Merrick waited, and a thousand thoughts raced through his mind. Chandra closed her eyes and felt the sun on her face. She took a breath, letting it out slowly. We have found many supplies. I mean a lot. She turned and smiled at both Merrick and Kriya. Merrick grunted and nodded. 
You mentioned that, Chandra. He was growing impatient. They did not have an infinite amount of time. Chandra sighed. She knew Merrick had a temper. I was on my way back when I saw a large group of Asaur. I was not expecting them. She paused and looked at the ground. What do you mean? Merrick frowned. Chandra looked up and met his gaze. It sent a shiver down her spine. Merrick was hard, and she knew he had to be. She also did not want to stoke his temper. She cleared her throat. I guess I was so focused on getting back to the village, I was not prepared. They had a vast number of children with them, in iron cages. She rushed on, hoping that she had sidestepped Merrick's question. Chandra did not want to make him aware that she had not had her wits about her. Her only goal at the time was to get back to the village to get extra help. She had become complacent and had let down her guard. Chandra knew this was one thing a warrior should never do. It was a punishable offence. I could hear their cries. She shivered and shifted uncomfortably. Kriya placed her arm around her friend. How many, many of the cages were there? Merrick asked. Chandra frowned, trying to remember. At least fifty. Have a sharp intake of breath. Merrick stood and rubbed the back of his neck. Bought them off and ran. Thank the gods they weren't interested in chasing me or... Her voice trailed away and she shuddered involuntarily. Merrick turned to look at the woman sitting next to his sister. Something didn't add up, and he had a feeling she wasn't revealing everything. Chandra could feel Merrick stare, and she quickly glanced at him, before looking away. It confirmed Merrick's suspicions, and he made a note to talk to Kriya about it when they got back to the village. Rest here until morning, and head back to the village, and advise Andrew and Ulrich of what happened. Gather what you think you will need to get the supplies, and head back to Torren. Kriya and I will meet you there. Merrick did not wait for her response. He mounted his stallion, gesturing Kriya to do the same. Eleanor removed the soil nappy, placing a fresh, fresh piece of material around her baby. She heard a knock on the door, and quickly finished dressing the infant. She placed the baby in her crib and went to answer the door. Anja smiled when she saw Eleanor and they quickly embraced. Can I come in, Nori? Eleanor blushed. Oh, yes, of course. Sorry, Anja. Mind my manners. I was busy changing Enwin. Eleanor stepped to one side and held the door open for her mother-in-law. Anja offered her a warm smile and stepped into the cosy home. Eleanor quickly put the kettle on and settled herself on one of the kitchen chairs. Is everything okay, Anja? Merrick left yesterday, but he didn't tell me where he was going or what he was up to. Anja sighed and offered her a reassuring smile. That is what I was coming to talk to you about. Chandra, one of Kriya's warriors, rode in this morning to let us know Torren has found a huge amount of supplies and needs help to bring it back. She ran into Merrick and Kriya when they were out looking for Torrin. I have a feeling Merrick was hoping to use Kriya's wolf to find Torrin. Eleanor swallowed. She felt annoyance brush over her. Could have told me that was what he was going to do? Eleanor got up and poured the contents of the kettle into the waiting mugs. I feel Andrew reading her thoughts and she blushed. 
It was hard to hide things from her mother, mother-in-law and daughter. Merrick has his reasons, Nori, although it does not excuse him from not being open with you. Eleanor nodded and handed Andrew her mug. Ulrich and Amsey and a few other men have gone to help with the supplies. It is a shame we don't have wagons. Andrew changed the subject, picking up on Eleanor's discomfort. Merrick and Crea rode for three days, before they intercepted Tyron and his group of female warriors. Merrick, you're one for sore eyes. Did you see Chandra? Tyron shook Merrick's hand before giving him a quick embrace. Merrick nodded and ran his eye over the lead warrior. He seemed in good spirits, and it seemed he had not had the misfortune, countering the Asaur. She ran into the Asaur on the way back. They are raiding and taking children. They raided our village not so long ago, Merrick told the young man standing in front of him. Torren shook his head, hawked and spat. Devils, how many did we lose? Half, Kriya interjected. Torren let his gaze linger on Kriya, and he shook his head again. Kriya suddenly felt self-conscious as the, for the, as the feelings she had for the handsome young man rose. Chandra outran the Asaur, and we found her on her way back to the village. She said you needed help with all the supplies you found. Old Torrin's gaze, and he grinned. That is good news, Kriya. I'm glad she's okay, and hopefully we'll get reinforcements soon. I have found a lot of supplies, and a good amount of wine. Torrin turned to Merrick as he finished talking. Merrick couldn't help but smile. How far, far back and where are all these supplies? Merrick looked in the direction that Torrin had just come from. About two days ride away, there are several villages that were not burned to the ground. The forest goes all the way back to the sea, or so it seems. We didn't have the time to go all the way back, but we couldn't see any forest that had been burned to the ground. It is a good omen, Merrick. Torrin couldn't wipe the smile from his face. Merrick nodded. Well, let's go look at the treasure you found, Torrin. Merrick mounted his stallion before Torrin, before following Torrin back the way they had just come. It was two weeks before they hauled all the supplies back to Merrick's village. Torrin had not been exaggerating when he said there was a lot of goods that they would find useful. It excited the townspeople with the loot Torrin brought to their village, and Anja organised a ceremony, not only to show gratitude, but to welcome the new people that had joined them. The festivities seemed to rejuvenate Merrick's people, and wine flowed, creating a mood for celebration. Eleanor let Sabin pour her a cup of the wine, and she took a mouthful. He felt it slide down her throat as she savoured the taste of it. It had been so long, and there had been many times that she craved the calmness that it brought her. Aye, Nori, looks like you're enjoying the wine. Sabin burst into laughter as he watched her. Eleanor could not help but giggle. It had been a while since she'd let herself relax. As she looked over at the village people, she noticed they were feeling the same way. Her gaze lingered on her community, and she felt sorrow creep in. Many had lost family members, and now the latest raid had taken their most valued treasure, their children. 
she marvelled at their resilience, and she knew this was what would make the difference in surviving the the assault. Not only did they have to unite, but they needed strength, and the knowledge that the latest evil the Assault now brought with them was a last-ditch attempt to bring them to their knees. If the Assault could slash their resolve to not only win, but to triumph over their enemy, they would be the victor. This new revelation crashed over her and swept her with its intensity. Humanity would survive if they stayed together and not allow their enemy to smother them with pessimism and weakness. To acknowledge defeat would allow them a swift victory and an end to their time in the world in which they lived. Eric felt the effects of the red drink and he welcomed it. It helped him forget all they had lost and he reveled in the calmness it brought him. He noticed Kriya talking to some women warriors she had trained and it ignited the memory of Chandra. Merrick had a feeling she was not telling the complete truth when she had told them about the assault, and he was determined to find out why she was hiding it. Kriya, he motioned for her to come to him as he took another swallow from his cup. Kriya made her way towards her brother. Hey Merrick, what is it? Merrick smiled. I wanted to have a chat with you about Chandra and I wanted to apologise. Kriya frowned. Okay, you have my attention. She waited for him to continue. Merrick took another swallow from the cup. Sorry that I doubted you about being a lead warrior. However, I still want you and Tyron to do a recon together. I think this would be good for both of you. He paused, waiting for her reaction. Kriya looked away for a moment before turning her attention back to him. What recon? As you know, a large number is, a large group is making their way towards us. And I want you and Tyron to find out who and how far they are. Frowned and looked up at her brother. Okay, when? Merrick smiled. Tomorrow. Nodded. She could not argue with Merrick. He was a leader of the village. Chandra? Kriya asked, before she quickly glanced behind her, making sure that they were out of earshot of the other warriors. Merrick sighed. She wasn't telling the truth. In fact, I think she was being more than complacent when she was making her way back. She's incompetent, and that is why the Assault found her. Did not respond. She knew Merrick was right. Kriya, we can't have warriors like that. We have an enemy that looks for any weaknesses. If they had caught her, who knows what the repercussions may have been. Again, Kriya knew Merrick was right. So what do you suggest? Merrick cleansed his jaw. She can no longer serve as a warrior. That should be punishment enough. Kriya nodded. She knew his reasons for her no longer serving as a warrior were valid, and she could become a liability. I'll talk with her tomorrow before I leave. Merrick nodded, satisfied he had said what he needed to say. Merrick stumbled into the room he shared with his wife and pulled off his boots. He belched and thumped his chest. Merrick, please keep it down. I've just fed the twins. Merrick noted the irritation in his wife's voice. Sorry, Nori. He turned and scooted in beside her. Eleanor could smell the heavy scent of wine on his... 
Are you mad at me, Nori? He hiccuped. Eleanor struggled to contain her temper. Yes, I am, Merrick. You left me and didn't tell me where you were going. You stay out drinking and I'm tired of being kept in the dark. Her voice had risen and she forgot and she fought to restrain from yelling. In the two weeks Merrick had been away, her anger with him had simmered. She'd felt shut out and she knew that in his present state it may not have been the right moment to confront him. However, she felt she could not keep it inside her any longer. She had to confront him. Merrick rolled on his side and kissed her. Eleanor felt herself cave into his romantic affections. Merrick pulled herself away. She could make out the shape of his face in the room's dark darkness. I haven't answered me. Merrick stroked Eleanor's face. Sorry, Nori. She could see him smirking in the gloom before he leant in and kissed her once again. Eleanor struggled with the feelings that washed over her. She felt torn before wanting to torn between wanting to slap and shout at him or give in to his affections. He kissed her again, and this time she melted. Merrick was a powerful warrior and warrior and leader. He also was char- charismatic, and many felt it hard to resist his charm. Let herself be, become consumed by his passion and leaned into him, feeling his desire growing. Eleanor felt his hands on her breasts before they groped, reaching and pulling down her underwear. She felt him enter her and gasped at the intensity of it. Eleanor rose to meet Merrick's thrusts, her crescendo building coming to a shuddering climax. Their lovemaking was short and intense and over before Eleanor had gathered her emotions. Merrick rolled back onto his back, letting out a deep breath. I love you, Maury, he mumbled, as he rolled onto his side before falling into a deep sleep. Eleanor sighed. She would have to bring it up with him in the morning. She could not talk to him now. Eleanor could barely sleep. Her thoughts tumbled and weaved through her mind as she tossed and turned. Although she'd forgiven Merrick when the beautiful Zuri had swept him off his feet, she knew she would never forget it. It'd been hard to forgive him, and she felt that that partially the reason she had was the curse that had been placed upon him. Andrew and the ancient seer had explained that it was the seer from Shakurta village whose intent was to distract the leader of their people while the Asaur plotted a surprise attack. However, Eleanor knew there were more to their problems than Merrick's infidelity. For one, he was never open with her. He had hidden many secrets, with the first being he was part of the protectors and knew that one day the Asaur would come for them. He still never was forthcoming in his plans, preferring to talk it over with his friends and he would disappear sometimes for days without telling her where he was or when he would be back. What if it hadn't been... What if he is easily attracted to beautiful women? The thought had had presented itself before, and she'd pushed it away. This time, however, she acknowledged it, cracking it open so she could examine it further. Zuri had been a nasty woman, and one as unashamed at how she had treated Eleanor. Memories of the things she had said to Eleanor and the time she'd tried to maim her 
which had almost cost her life and that of her unborn children, rose to the surface. A feeling of hurt came over her and Eleanor felt tears prick her eyes. Merrick still slumbered beside her and her twins were both sound asleep. She knew sleep would remain a distant friend. She carefully extracted herself from the bed. A cup of tea may help, she thought, as she reached for her shawl that she'd thrown over the chair beside the bed. Eleanor padded out to the kitchen and looked out of the window, which sat above the kitchen sink. The sun had barely made its way in the morning sky. Birds had started their chorus of morning greetings. The forest was breathtaking, and she let herself bask in its splendour. Trickles of faint sunlight filtered through the tree branches before lighting Eleanor's kitchen. Her third home was the smallest she'd ever had, but she was thankful that she had a home, and that the Asaw had not set fire to it, as they had to her previous ones. Gave a quick prayer of thanks to the gods for making the tea she craved. As she filled the iron kettle with water, she grabbed the loaf of cornbread that she'd wrapped in a linen towel. She cut herself a thick slice before spreading a fruit jam over the top of it. The crops they'd planted were thriving, with the first crop of corn already harvested, and many had become resourceful in coming up with different ideas for food. She was grateful to the woman who had the insight to create a jam from berries that was local to the area. We just need some livestock so we can have milk and butter. Eleanor took a bite of the bread and reveled in the taste, her hurt temporarily abated. Creer rode beside Torren as they made their way west, where Anja had advised that a large procession of people were making their way towards them. The sun sent its warmth to the land beneath her and a gentle breeze stroked the young couple. Kriya felt at a loss for words and chastised herself. What is wrong with me? Tyron attempted idle chit-chat but had run out of things to say and both returned to silence. You did a great job of training your girls, Tyron said as he looked at the woman beside him. Kriya groaned inwardly. He had already told her that earlier. She did not feel like reminding him. She knew he was trying to talk to her, and she instantly recognised he liked to talk and was not one for silent conversations. I've told Shonda she cannot be a warrior any longer. She changed the subject. Torrin turned in his saddle. What? I mean, how come? Kriya couldn't help but smile at his reaction. She isn't fit to be a warrior. She's incompetent. The Asaur found her after she let down her guard. She was lucky to escape with her life. You can't have people like that guarding and protecting the village. Her tone had become sombre. Tyron nodded, lost in his own thoughts about what Kriya had just told him. Kriya brought her horse to a halt. Tyron looked up and frowned. What is it? She pointed at the distant horizon. In the distance, a faint outline of people were coming towards them. The procession seemed endless and stretched itself as far back as the eye could see. Tyron let out a low whistle. Anja wasn't wrong. There are a lot of them, he grinned. Kriya nodded in agreement. Guess we should meet them. She kicked a horse forward and made her way 
towards the approaching mass. As Kriya approached, she noticed the man leading the group. She frowned. He seemed familiar. She raised her, raised her hand to announce that she was a friend and did not mean any harm. She walked her horse closer and gasped when she suddenly recognised who, who it was coming towards her. Kriya! The man brought his horse to a halt and a smile stretched itself from ear to ear. Kriya gaped and was at a loss for words. Torrin looked from the man to puzzled. Hello, I'm Torrin and you are... Before he could finish, the man with the straw-coloured hair interrupted him. Oh, I'm an old friend of Kriya's, but it's been years since I've seen her. The man chuckled. Torrin shook his head and looked at Kriya for an ex explanation. It was Kriya's turn to shake her head and she broke out in a huge grin. Axel, I'm speechless. She jumped from her mount. Axel followed suit. They embraced, and Kriya felt tears course down her face. Torrin watched in fascination, as did the people that waited behind them. Torrin guessed there were around 300 people, all differed in ages, with some perched on wagons, some walked, or were mounted on horses or donkeys. He noticed that some had even brought cows, sheep, Goats. It would be a wonderful addition to their community. They brought much sought-after goods and supplies. Tyron smiled, brought his attention back to Kriya and the stranger she was hugging. A woman with dark olive skin stepped forward, causing Axel to extract himself from Kriya. I'm sorry, Kriya. I've so much to tell you and so many people to introduce you to. How long have you been on the run? I mean, what happened to you? We thought the Asaur had taken you. She wiped her face. She ignored the woman who had stepped forward, so taken with the curiosity that she had to find out what had happened to Axel. Axel smiled and sighed. It's a long story, Kriya, and I can't wait to tell you, but I think it best we get back to your village. The gods have warned me of the Asaur and their raids and stealing children. They have helped me so much along with the forest and this is how I could rescue all these people. He gestured to the people behind him. The woman with the olive skin was waiting patiently and smiled when Kriya's gaze met hers. She is beautiful, almost as beautiful as Zuri was. The thought ran through her mind, and she shook her head. Zuri was bad news and had been an evil woman. The woman in front of her had a kindness about her, and she could not help but smile back at her. Kriya, I am the head medicine woman for these people. Her voice was soft and musical. The woman extended her hand, and Kriya shook it. Kriya, can you explain what is going on? Kriya had temporarily forgotten Torrin and chuckled when she heard his puzzled voice. My apologies, Torrin, but Axel was taken by the Asaur many years ago. I don't even know how many it's been that long. She's Edith's husband. Torrin was now at a loss for words. Knew Edith was married to Sabin. He never knew that she'd been married to someone else. Pleased to meet you, Axel, was all that he could manage. Axel shook Torrin's hand, offering him a broad smile. Torrin nodded. We need to leave. I want to get you to your village as quickly as possible. How long a ride is it? Kriya glanced at the woman, medicine woman. She still didn't not even know a name, and she felt rude. 
However, Axel seemed desperate to be on the move again. She felt a shiver run down her spine. The Asaur were always on the hunt for humans. It took us half a day to get here, so I'm guessing with all the people that follow you, it'll be at least another day to get back. We'll have to camp somewhere for the night. Axel nodded in agreement. Show us the way, Kriya. He turned and mounted his stallion, waiting for Kriya to lead them home. Eleanor cut herself another piece of the cornbread. It was delicious, and she gave into its temptation. She knew she'd lost her figure since having the twins. Pushed away the thoughts that threatened to sabotage her enjoyment of eating the bread. As she licked her fingers, she heard footsteps enter the kitchen. Eleanor whirled around and came face to face with her husband. Nori, what are you doing? Merrick frowned as he watched her. Eleanor felt instantly ashamed. Splurging on the cornbread. They had to eat in moderation. The crops they had planted had only yielded corn that had been harvested. However, there were many more crops that would offer a future food source. It meant there was only a certain amount of food at the present time, and they had to be careful and ration what they had. Eleanor blushed, since he had caught her. I'm just having breakfast, Merrick, she mumbled. Merrick nodded and grinned. Come here, my little round woman, Merrick chuckled. Eleanor felt her hurt reignite before she felt Merrick's muscular arms around her. What are you doing up, Nori? Merrick asked as he released his hold on his... All the things Eleanor wanted to confront him with vanished. She felt ashamed and unattractive. I couldn't sleep, so I thought I would have some breakfast, she whispered. Merrick cupped her chin and directed his gaze into her green eyes. Nori... I think that cornbread was a temptation you could not resist. He broke out into laughter. Eleanor felt her temper flare, and she clenched her jaw. Normally she would have laughed with him, but his previous actions had put her in a sensitive mood, coupled with the lingering memories of Zuri. She felt even more vulnerable. Eleanor sniffed, and she struggled to contain the emotions that swept over her. A mix of anger and hurt immersed her. Merrick sat himself on one of the dining chairs before he pulled at his beard and stretched. Nori, can you make me a tea? My head is hurting. He smiled sweetly at her. Eleanor nodded as she quickly wiped away a tear. She made him tea and cut him a thick slice of bread, smearing it with the jam she had had earlier. After serving him, she went to check on her twins. She knew she would not be confronting him today. He would have to wait for another time when she was in a better frame of mind. Angie brought her mind back to the present time as she finished her meditation. She had sought peace and solace to find out who the mysterious man was that was leading an army of people to them. The gods had answered her and she had recoiled from the revelation they had given her. Axel is alive, and he brings another who was linked to Merrick. She shook her head and took a deep breath. The fallout from both these people would be enormous, and she shuddered at the emotions it would bring to the surface. Gods work in mysterious ways, but why? Angela took another breath. She would have to brace herself for what would come, and she wondered if she should alert the women. It would impact the most. 
her thoughts were in turmoil. Things were about to change, and there was nothing she could do about it. So thank you for listening. I appreciate your time and truly am grateful. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe where you listen to all your favourite podcasts. Take care, everyone, and see you next week on The Story, the podcast where great stories are told. Bye for now.